Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Black 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 Up everybody, my name is James DeFiore, and this is Black Bolt. Um, I'm gonna set this one up like this because I, I I just sort of told the story off here, and I think it's funny because of who they sent me. I was looking on Instagram. I for those who know me know that I really do not like show running and book uh, booking guests because it takes up like 20 hours a week of my time. And if if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to do a daily show with guests. So that's just what I have to do. And so I, I was booking, I was trying to book a guest, and I'll say who it is when I introduce, I want my guest today, I want his name to be the first name I say on the show, but I was going to book a guest, so I inquired about it, and then some other company, like an hour later, sends me this person's resume, and I'm like, well, I know him, like, you know, so what was interesting is that the, the name that I was asking for, which I don't know how big it is or is not, um, they didn't even answer me on that, and then they send me the bigger name. <laughs> Okay, and um, he's a really cool cat. I've been I've been going in my uh, this person's deep dive for the, like the last three days, and it, it's amazing how many things that I remember him from that I didn't remember it was him. Um, but one of the most revolutionary shows ever on television, Queer Spoke, is one of them, and his name is Hal Sparks. Hal, how are you, buddy? Hi, I'm spectacular. And by the way, I'll I don't mind being the you know the ringer that people throw in when somebody turns you down for personal reasons. And they go, not that guy. And they, they, you know, and the publicist doesn't want you to know that. Take offense, not have other guests. So they're like, who's the sweetest person we have that we can throw <laughs> his way so that he'll never know that this Instagram model he's been chasing around the internet has just ghosted him. And it's, I'm okay with that. I want you to know that. I want everybody else uh, to know that. And uh, it's nice to be here on a show that opens so rap heavy and drifts into flamenco guitar so seamlessly. <laughs> I, I, so I, and it still says title on the uh, on that thing. You know how like the uh, the video software before you add text will just say title. Yes, I just had, yes. I just didn't take it off. <laughs> I just kept it there. I yeah, you know, I kind of I, I kind of like it. It's kind of it's like mid nineties, uh, you know, band posters and that kind of stuff. You know, like you just I'm using the fucking Sans font for the hell of it because that's the first one. <laughs> Well, first of all, if they come across this podcast and it's an accident or whatever, and it very well likely could be, then they might think by looking at you that this is a Gene Simmons telethon or something because, dude, I I wasn't aware. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Just pulls that tongue out of nowhere. I never. Did you do a Gene Simmons impersonation at one time? Because that was actually pretty good. No, but I will say that he was touring uh, early with his solo band, Pre-Kiss, when my mom was, you know, kind of 
bouncing around the sexual revolution. It's entirely possible. I doubt well, it. I mean, I that would be quite the honor. Yeah. That would be quite. Yeah, yeah. You know, I am related uh, to my dad's to my cousin on my dad's side, so uh, we're, we think it's strictly that way. And people only do that when I have long hair. The rest of the time, they're they're like, they do so, something like you know, young Steve Martin. If I let my hair go white, that kind of thing. <laughs> I think. Uh, Cousin fucking is largely misunderstood, for one thing. But the another thing I heard you say. I don't understand on, I, it, but perhaps you could tell us because you live. Well, in the I was just about to say. I was just about to say cousin fucking. Cousin fucking might be a little bit like overblown, because I remember, and this is a hard pivot, but um, I caught something that you said at the end of a something else uh, that I was watching of yours, and you the, the line that you used was I used to I had I used to live down south, but I had to move because. I got too smart, or I, or I I started reading. Like I can't remember what it was, but it was, or I started thinking too much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It kicked what me out it? thinking too much. Yeah, you're, you're a neat guy because you don't fall into that sort of um, personality type where you would, would associate with with a like a really uber progressive mindset. But you are really progressive, and you've been sort of at the uh, sort of the precipice of certain cultural pivots and 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 sure. you know the fold in the next chapter. Um. <laughs> to be honest with you, I have no idea because I didn't look it up and I don't know about your family history. I yeah. was wondering, um, would you would it, would a straight guy be able to be in queer as folk today as a as a gay man? Well, uh, technically, yes. Um, and here's the problem they ran into when they tried to do other versions where they're like, we're only going to hire gay people or whatever. There's a slippery slope in the legal aspect of that, that if that is allowed, then you can hire people who are only straight for things as well. You can't if you want non-discrimination, you got to you got to tough it out through all of it. And so even asking someone's sexuality, um, you know, in, you know, when the, well, I mean, we live in kind of the, in, the post Instagram era, there's so many actors coming up where there's no hiding who you are for the rest of your fucking life, I suppose. But the answer, the short answer is, of course, the, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's I put it up there right with people who are like, you couldn't even make Blazing Saddles today. And I'm like, have you seen the Chappelle show? It's all, it's basically Blazing Saddles, the series. And it's the same thing. Richard Pryor and Mel Brooks wrote Blazing Saddles together, amongst other people. And yeah. Neil Brennan and, and Chappelle wrote that show together, amongst other people. It was like a, Jew, a, a young Jewish guy and a black dude writing all this stuff and doing everything. It's the exact same mentality. It's a lot of the same language. And it was on basic cable. Yeah. So the idea that you couldn't do it anymore is a little silly. Would there be some pushback? Sure. Um, uh, I don't doubt it. The problem is you will always run aground with, I believe gay actors should be able to play straight people. And we're not going to really be at a point of equity where it doesn't matter and people can see past that. So, you know, the idea of, you know, branding corralling is a mistake, I think. Um, that said, at the time, there were plenty of gay actors who wouldn't audition for the part because their agents and even the casting directors in some cases would tell them, don't do it because then people will know you are gay and you'll never work again. Well, your agent, um, you end up uh, parting ways with this person because they were, they, they made it seem like, Oh, you don't want this one, but they gave it to you. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Well, no, they, they, they offered it to me because it was a, they, I was requested. Mm. Apparently the exec producers were having such a hard time casting the thing. And I was, was the, the right casting person. couch. Like for, uh, <laughs> there wasn't one there was a cast there was a casting ledge oh stand-uppers good yeah well the um the the opening like the scene we auditioned with and that i auditioned with other actors with was this uh the suicide scene in the first uh episode 
mm. where, where Michael and, and Brian are standing on this ledge and Brian's about to jump to his death and Michael steps up there with him, you know, basically to talk him down. Uh, which we, re when we ultimately shot it, really shot it on a ledge of an eighth story building, an eight story building. We were on the top of it. It was a good time. Wow. Tom um, Cruise is in the house. Check it out. Two of them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've done, uh, I've done, yeah. Have I done all my own stunts? All but one, I think. Yeah. I, um, I, I was going to, I was trying to find a clever way to ask about your role in Queer Spoke and if you were a method actor. Yeah, and no. I was say, um, just curious, and then everything well, sort of yeah, of yeah. yeah. No, I you know that it, here's the here's the issue with it. You can't. I think the message of that show is allowing people to be who they truly are, and that's yeah. the point. And a lot of people would ask me, "Did you go to like to get into the role? Did you go to gay clubs and interact with people to see what it was like?" And blah blah blah. And I don't mean like sexually interact, but just see it and hang out. And and I said no because I wouldn't know what Michael felt there my character because I'm not interested in anyone in anyone there. I'm not, I wouldn't be sexually attracted or worried that somebody would overlook me or feel passed over or, you know, uh, get attracted to someone and they don't give me the time of day. Like he would, you know, and, and, uh, but in a straight club at, you know, five, nine and, you know, buck 65 fully clothed, soaking wet with long hair uh, at any given time during my life. I've had many times where as a straight guy, I felt that towards women in my life. And if you just, understand the emotion of it you just extrapolate it over the other person by the way method is bullshit it's complete horseshit across the board i'm just i'm not saying that daniel day lewis is a complete asshole but i am saying that <laughs> what he does is keep his accent the whole time he does not stay in character the whole time because you couldn't because if you were actually abe lincoln in this moment you wouldn't continue the scene you'd go dear god what are these crazy machines all around us this this i'm being recorded what kind of listening device is over my head you know like You'd be yeah. so, you'd be a crazy person. You'd be a time traveler, not a character. I heard some people talk about that with um, Marlon Brando, about how um, with certain individuals that he was super tight with, like he'd be, you know, the producer would come over and he'd be like, oh, Marlon's in character. And so the legend of the method actor grew, but then as soon as the producer would leave, he would just drop it all and hang out with his friends. Like it wasn't something that he did. Yeah, he was, he was, bla he was blazingly full of shit. Yeah. He was, yeah, his, I mean, have you ever watched the Heart of Darkness documentary? No. Oh, my God. No, so the making, the making of Apocalypse Now, they did a documentary called Heart of Darkness. And the story of, like, them, you know, they wanted him. He was the, you know, biggest actor at the time they could possibly get. It was, it was going to pivot the movie. It was going to be one of the reasons why it was stand. It was, oh, my God, Marlon Brando is playing Colonel Kurtz in this book that was a huge hit. And it's all about the Vietnam War. And it's going to be this retelling it and blah, blah, blah. And he, and Kurtz in it is almost a skeleton of himself in the book. He's he's like, uh, waste. he's not eating anymore. He's kind of wasting away amongst these villagers and living amongst them. And Marlon Brandt, and they signed this contract and didn't think it through apparently, but they, one of the things said, okay, if he's got to be done shooting by this date. And for every day past that, you'll owe him a million bucks. And they're like, well, that's fine. We got fucking six months. They forgot to put in, you have to start filming with everybody else. So he oh. showed up like, like two and a half months into production with two weeks left and to get all of his stuff. And he didn't know any of his lines and he was 180 pounds overweight. He was the opposite of the character and stuff. And so they had to read him his lines like a fucking baby offline. They were, they would say the line and he would repeat the line and stuff. And later on he would get a, a headset and you have to watch it. And then it, my favorite moment in the whole thing is like, they would shoot him in this. He would, he would just, they needed footage. They needed 
you know, him saying fucking anything. He wouldn't memorize the lines. So at one point they just had him improvise. Like just say stuff like uh, fucking uh, Martin Sheen would just say stuff and he would respond to it and he would try to sound poetic or something. And it's based on a fucking book, a bestseller. So they're like, it's, <laughs> the lines are in the fucking book. You can't just blow it up. Anyway, so he's, there's one point where, and it's the footage is so fucking great because it actually works that he's fat, by the way, because it turns the whole story on his head that he's oh, yeah. not a, a victim of yeah. war machine, but he's enjoying himself in this process. But at one point, he's talking and he goes, I can't think of any more dialogue today. And he just, <laughs> just walks away. And that I have to, been, that could have worked too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Yeah. If yes, it could have. You're absolutely right. It could have worked if he said, I can't think of anything else to say. And th- that would have been a usable sentence. But the fact right. that he said dialogue, fuck the actual take. That's well, what they it could have added was. dialogue in the script like later before where the other person's like, I heard you wanted to do no, no, man. dialogue. This is the the ancient. Yeah. yeah no, this yeah. is the seventies. Like uh, the best they were, they were planning. I think at one point that if he wouldn't do anything, Martin Sheen was going to just like voice over what he had said to me. I remembered him saying, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yes. then just show him standing there turning and then, do is something but at one point he's talking it's my favorite moment i think in film history uh that wasn't on purpose and he's talking you're an errand boy you mean i swallowed a bug bug a bug flies in his mouth and he goes i swallowed a bug it's it. and my he just and I'm like my contract clearly states a million dollars of bugs. bugs. I'm a, I'm on a vegan diet and bugs are living things. <laughs> so you, know, you were you were saying something about gaining weight and it fitting the character. I can and at, what popped into my head yeah. was an immediate example of the opposite. Um, the movie uh, that uh, the machinist was the, no the one uh, the Breaking Bad movie El Camino. Yeah, and fucking Todd was fat, and it's supposed to have happened before. <laughs> Like right. Jesse is rescued by, um, yeah, by Walter, you know, and I was just like, and it bugged me from the very first frame. I was like, he's gained like thirty pounds. Like this, right? And then if you go watch Breaking Bad next week, he'll lose that weight. <laughs> right. Entirely. Well, I mean, it is meth. I, I do. They do have yeah. one. They have one saving grace: is that all you got to do is probably meth for a week, and you'll be an emaciated, you know shadow of your former self they should strongly consider selling meth as a dietary no fact. i i don't think so i'm gonna push back on that i'm i mean i'm no nutritionist and we probably have to preface this interview with that legally actual but weight gonna, loss may include i'm teeth. gonna go go ahead out yes right exactly <laughs> i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's not the it's not the best strategy yeah yeah you're probably right mm-hmm. um that's why you left the south there was a whole bunch of reasons from what i hear <laughs> yeah oh oh indeed um, uh, and I go back with great frequency, but yeah. I want to talk yeah. about, because um, I saw you do it today, and I actually thought, and we talked about this off here, I actually thought that your new main was part mm-hmm. of the bit of what you were doing. And it was a sort of a, a little kick on, a little little razzing on, on Russell Brand. Before I um, talk about what you did today, I just want to let you know that I, I think I'm on the same page as you, because for the last, I don't know how many months, I, I began noticing that Russell Brand is following in the footsteps of like Tim Poole, and um, Dave Rubin and, and these guys that are like, I'm so fed up with the people on the left and progressives 
that I am going to only criticize them and never criticize uh, anything right. um, center yeah. or center right. And because they, it's because they look at their analytics. And and so here's the interesting right. thing about mega and mega megalytics, um, mega analytics is that because I noticed this because I'm a I'm a centrist guy. I, I can cut up Trump and Obama. I don't give a fuck. I'm not saying they're equal, but I could find something to criticize about anybody in power. That's not a problem. Right. Sure. But the but the idea that um that that left with that these commentators that these journalists will criticize um the left realize they get a new audience when they do that and this audience is not just loyal but they they're very demanding so they just completely yeah. abandon criticizing anything on that side so they don't lose right. their followers of something's happening to they, russell brand and, and yeah and becomes like they're just carrying a bucket for it because it's not even that they're just like okay from now on i'm going to bring on like center right people or people with a right you know conservatism that doesn't get a voice because in all in all honesty right now the dearth of voices in terms of interview shows like brands and others is not the fucking fringes of either side it's people who are like look I lean this way because the overall, like as a Democrat, I'm for democracy. I believe in one person, one vote. And I believe that, you know, in democratic taxation, not socialism. I want people, I think if the public decides to set up public schools, that's not socialism. That's us deciding where our tax dollars go and what for. That's fine. And as a Republican, somebody would believe, I believe we're a republic and that, you know, rabble tends to scatter, you know, focus and we need people who have skin in the game and own land and shit like that to be the front runners of the decision making because everybody else wants to just scream and they know fucking nothing about how things run. If you believe that end to a light direction either way, um, you're going to be completely lost in the conversations that are happening right now. And in that ping pong you're talking about from them used to be on the left side of things and Bernie followers largely, most of them are like Bernie fillators that went like him and door like right they just love bernie until they fucking hate I him i love bernie i love bernie right. a lot like as a canadian i would look down and like watching that primary that he uh, that he probably should have won cuz the dnc stole it like i and that bird flew on the podium that time i was like this is this is fucking magical i like he's a disney <laughs> character for christ's sakes this is amazing right and um, um, and then yeah. you know it didn't happen oh, but um the, the, yeah. the other version but then but what they'll do is they'll just ping pong to the far right fringes of this stuff and then blow this like i criticize everybody but then never go into the criticism of those folks like just to get them on there because they do boost your analytics and they're a very loyal crazy crowd if you can loop the q anons and the preppers into watching your show yeah you're in they're not going to buy any of the products of the advertisers on your channel but the advertisers don't know that from the analytics so they're just well, I have good news i don't have any advertisers there you go. So there you go. Um, no, but I'm part of the biggest network in Canada, and it's interesting because I'll have them on my show. The, the, the far left is less likely to accept an invitation than the far right is. I've noticed that too. Sure. And then yeah, the yeah. far right, you'll give you, it will give you that spike in analytics, but I will invariably get emails that say things like, I can't believe you had Megan Murphy on your show. Why right. are you so hateful towards the trans? Why are you platforming? Like, right, right, right. But yeah. I've never hated a word more in my life than platforming. Yeah. I was like, dude, right. there was already a word. It was called interviewing, and it's fine. Yes, you're going to be okay. Yep, it covers and, it covers all the bases. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and the example I always use is like a guy won the Pulitzer Prize for interviewing Osama like two years before 9/11. He's a mass right. murderer. You can't handle Ann Coulter. Are you serious? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you want the people that you like to push back 
from their perspective. Because what what happens if that if they don't quote unquote platform the people you're talking about? If you don't bring somebody on and talk to them, then the only people they're ever going to talk to are people who are cradling their balls across the finish line. And then you go in like, why is nobody ever confront these people? And you're like, oh, because you don't, because you will cancel anybody on your side that has them on. That's why. It's just it it's yeah. such a self made trap. It's a it's a snare people fit around their own ankle. It's very silly. Um, but, but I mean, I do think there's like, there are ways where people will just glom on to the shock value of certain people and have them on that I find is wrong in sales. Like when TYT had, uh, Matt Gates on, for example, like there are right. plenty of right leaning or even right wing members of Congress who weren't currently when they had him on under investigation for sex trafficking of a minor and, and admittedly giving like ecstasy to to women and then having sex with them and other like like at a certain point like fuck that dude and and you can't find somebody else well of course you can but it's not gonna gin up the viewers it's not gonna get the eyeballs the way it does and that's where it's very mercenary and i think that's where platforming for mercenary reasons is wrong if you really want to confront this and have a conversation your way that has value. But if you're just like, oh, I can get some of the, uh, some of those people will stay behind and and like or subscribe just because I had them on and they'll never watch me again, yeah. but I'll have that number. I'll notch that belt. That's wrong. And yeah, that's yeah I, I think it's wrong too. And I also think that inevitably the content suffers when you think like that anyways, right? Like it's just- Agreed. You know, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting time to to sort of be um, be sort of in the soup as as minor and obscure as I am with this podcast in Canada. Um, I'm 215 episodes deep, and and I what I really like about it is um, there's I wouldn't I won't call it a community because honestly I don't talk to any motherfuckers that have podcasts, so we're not real. I'm not a part of any community, right? But like the people yeah, that yeah. do this shit are like, you know it's a creative space, man. Like when you don't have to deal with like so many parts of the machine, like all of it, yeah. basically you can say what you want, you know, and, and right. really it's an, it's the most organic way to find an audience. Um, how have you found, because I, it, I, I, yeah. I work with Dean Blundell, who was one of the biggest Canadian DJs ever. He worked for, um, edge one Oh two. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I asked him about the guys that go over from radio, um, and television to podcasting. And it's weird because it seems stripped down and more simplistic, but a lot of people fucking like take forever to understand it, to get it. Even if you're a seasoned professional at a bunch of stuff sure. you do, because you were never the guy pushing the buttons. You still seem right. like you have a guy pushing buttons because your hands have been high behind your back, haven't they? For most of this interview. Yeah, but I don't, I'm not switching scenes. I mean, I yeah. could, if you want me to, I mean, oh, I can, I can. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can put us, I can put <laughs> us all on screen right now. I can create all kinds of loops. I can uh, make a graphic go that tells people to, like my show or whatever hit the like that goes to six, six, six. I, you know, I got all oh, that. Um, actually you have yeah. all the toys. Do you have the, um, Atari like theme music that played at the end of that podcast you just did tonight? Cause I was like, yeah. this is the greatest Casio keyboard beat I've ever heard. I, wonderful. I, that, yes, that is actually, um, and I, I can't play it through the setup oh, we okay. have right now because I avoid mm-hmm. doing that by accident when I'm guesting on things. Cause sometimes right. it can happen, but yeah. it's, uh, in in you know in the other um, like in the scenes in the opening of the show I wrote that on because I was like I need a theme song for the show that sounds like Fletch sneak around music you know what I mean like a yeah. like an eighties burglar cat burglar yeah, music. yeah like an eighties comedy uh, burglar or uh, or detective or journalist kind of movie where they're like you know 
following somebody, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was like, I want something that's kind of light like that. And so I sat down and made that on my, you know, in logic. Yeah, that was, it matched the hair too. It, uh, well, it doesn't quite. I mean, I'm, these days, if you want to see what matches the hair, uh, you know, Tuesday I'm hosting at the Whiskey and in LA and uh, I'm singing, where, what are we doing? We're doing uh, Best of the Remake. So we're doing uh, like, You Really Got Me. We're doing uh, Helter Skelter. We're doing, um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, I'm doing a duet of Dancing in the Street, the uh, the David Bowie, Mick Jagger version with my friend Mick Scott. Yeah. He's going to be doing the Jagger part and uh, I'll be doing the Bowie part. And then we're doing Freebird because the last surviving member of uh, Skinner just died. And while mm. it doesn't keep in theme with the song of remakes that we were doing, everybody gets yelled at to do Freebird. So it's, you know, everybody will remake it now that they've all passed. So yeah, that sounds like a fun night. Is that like a regular event that happens right. there? People might in Canada yeah. might not know, but there's a big history with that bar, right? Like it's in the middle yeah, of Hollywood. So the, yeah, the whiskey is where all your favorite hair metal bands, if you have any, started from. Mm. Uh, Motley Crue, Rat, you know, Warrant, all those guys. The whiskey is the place. And it's been around since the 60s. It was a, it was a you know, a go-go bar back in the day, and then it became a band venue, and the Doors played there, and it's pretty amazing. If you see the... Um, uh, Wildside video, I think it was. No, was it Wildside? Uh, or Kickstart My Heart? One of those. They oh, Kickstart My Heart. They they did that at they did that video at the whiskey. Um, and so we, I there's a, a thing called the Ultimate Jam Night where we bring in people like last time we had Orianti and Tracy Guns and you know former members of like Quiet Riot and other bands and then younger musicians who were coming up and you know were heavy hitters and they all just jam and nobody rehearses. You just get your song on Saturday and they say, know the song by Tuesday. And then you just, on the downbeat, everybody just goes. Because people buy the quirkiness, right? They they, they want to see like people kind of try to throw it together like you're in a garage more so than a studio kind of thing. Well, no, I think they just want to see the talent and people, oh, okay. and the fact, you know, they like, these people can pull it off. And um, so, and for me, you know, it's like, you know, I'm doing four songs and most people do two, like singers will do two that night, one or two. And I end up doing four because I'm hosting and singing hmm. throughout a two hour show. And and uh, I've done it before as just a guest. And then I took over hosting it a few months ago because I love doing it. Um, but it's, I've you know, it's thought... yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead please. I was just saying like that place itself is is a piece of history. So it's a great hmm. time, you know, to do it. Yeah, we have a place like that in Toronto, the Horseshoe Tavern. That, that's like, of course. And the Alma Combo, I guess, was sort of like that as well. But there's, um, yeah, I, like, I like those. First concert I, like those. I saw in Canada was a government. Was it an electronic music show or was it, what was it? No, it was not. It was Nickelback and uh, I want to say Default. Opposite. <laughs> yeah. That? Yeah. Nickelback and Default, I think, was playing. I mm. saw um, Danko Jones at another venue. I don't remember the name of it when I was there. And then uh, Jeff Healy's uh, place was just around the corner from my apartment. So oh, he would Bathurst and Queen and, kind of thing. Yeah, I lived. Yeah. At, I, I lived at King and Bathurst. I lived oh, right, at, right across from the Wheat Chief. Yeah, and so you, did you know uh, the, was, the Fish Fry Boys? I did not. They they were in the um, same I, building. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, yeah, I I was often I often came in late and passed out and went back to work the next day because we had long friggin' hours. And if I did have time to myself, I would either go. Like, because I speak Chinese, I would go into Chinatown, which is why I wanted to live in that part of the area because it was walking distance. It was the nicest place I could find in walking distance to the Chinatown over there as far as, you know, available apartments at the time uh, for when I was shooting. And um, or I would walk up and 
uh, and see Healy play if he was around. There were he would drop in. Yeah. And I would just, you know, occasionally on a Friday or Saturday, I would walk up and go, is Healy coming by? And they're like, he's not here tonight. He'll be here tomorrow. And so I would just come back the next night and go down there and sit and watch him. Yeah, he, dude, that I, I, he was there a, a lot of times when I went there. I've probably been there a handful of times, like six, seven times. And yeah. I saw him there maybe two or three times when I was there. I yeah. actually did a show there. I kind of, it was weird. I didn't think I liked their setup very much. It's kind of cramped, but then I really yeah. loved it. You know, I, I right. it was really intimate the way they had the the seating and stuff. It was, it was a regular bar, but people were respectful about how close they were to the town. They didn't, you, you never want to get the drunk person in the front row talking right. really loud to her friend about the date that went badly last night and you're trying to sing right, a song. Right, right. Um, and another thing, I don't know if you're familiar with typo negative, but you could totally probably pull this yes. off. You know, like, I think you should oh, start impersonating uh, people that you look like because of the hair. So it'd be like this sure. guy. Right? Yeah, me, Danzig, right. Yeah, yeah. the Creed guy. Right? Uh, With the maybe. long hair now? Maybe he's got short hair now, doesn't he? Oh, I don't know. I, I have no idea. My creed knowledge oh, starts and starts. Upon, and that guy uh, That guy hit on my uh, one of my best friends. He passed, my buddy Robert Hall, rest his soul, hit on his wife at a party. And, the creed guy and, did? Yeah. And wow. he was drunk and being a complete asshole. And um, at one point, Rob and I were like, all right, well, we'll next if I'm with you next time, we'll bounce him. What do you want? <laughs> okay. We'll roll the lead singer of Creed, sure. I would have considered allowing him to have sex with my wife just to be like, well, something crazy might happen. You know, like, you know, like the sex with the wife would be crazy, but I'm just saying, like. Oh, I see. I mean, like the heavens would open up because they were basically a Christian band and. No, you, you, it's you, really you, a joke you, about how much I don't really respect my wife now that we're separated. That's all. I see. I see. <laughs> That's all it really was. I didn't. Uh, you know, I. I have to. I'm. I haven't heard all the lead-up jokes about your wife that would. That's true. Build That's the true. premise. That's true. It's it's a take that my wife please. It's a take my wife please situation, and I opened sure. with at the bottom of the volcano, right? Which is that's right, exactly. And it was more about the lead singer of Creed and your kind of love for watching him have sex with somebody. That's like you know it. It goes into that. You know, I, I don't need to be kink shamed on my own show, Hal. What the fuck, man? I'm not. I'm not here <laughs> I'm to yuck your yum. That's not why I'm here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wonder how someone found that out. Honey, I can't believe you would sleep with my friend. To- oh, wait a moment. Yeah, right. Hmm. Like the cucking concept. I don't know. I don't right? get it. Like, yeah. Well, I get it because I, I understand the push and pull of humiliation and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I understand sadomasochism. I don't practice it, but I understand it. The, the psychological game of demean and being used and all that kind of stuff. It's like a weird nope. fantasy dark place that some people don't get, but I understand that. I don't but get it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's more like the bullying verbally that I would find very odd. Sure. It's just like, look, you're already sure, right. having sex with my wife. This is all consensual. Why are you calling yeah. me a sissy? Why can't? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why can't you just be? I mean, that's just rude. Yeah. Right. Now continue uh, face fucking. Yeah. You rude, rude man. Like it's, it's yeah, yeah. That's not, that's unnecessary. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't. Uh, I you know I grew up in sort of the like the Casanova '80s rock stuff, which is like you know I'll be your backdoor man. You know, sneak around side guy. You know, um, you know, the uh, wasp songs like Love Machine and that kind of stuff. Whereas the idea is, is that you might be with him, but you really want me as opposed to, you know, this like we're going to get revenge on someone that never existed except in my fucking head. Like some sort of weird Edmund Kemper low res reaction to love you thought you deserve, but never got like, I don't get that going their own way. That's their tagline now. Yes. Right. The big towel world. Like I'm 
Yeah, I'm a voluntary, involuntary celibate. I'm a vincel, uh, you know, whatever. I am also married. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, now it works. Um, hey, that that you, would that would have helped to start with because I, I know, yeah. I know. guys, listen, the abstract I, I, wife and the joke doesn't necessarily fly unless some people know you're really you walk down the aisle. Now I get it. I can tell you, my audience thought it was hilarious. Actually, they probably are sick of it. They're probably a little bit sick of it. They though. Well, I've said some it's really it. like I use the the not the hatred of the wife as the bit, but like the callous indifference to anything that has to do with my wife. That's, that's sort of the running theme. And the first sure, joke sure. I two years ago, the first joke I ever told, we're separated now. Um, but the first joke I ever told was, cause I don't Shocking. have a driver's, I don't have a driver's license. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, I said like your wife has the driver ever. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I'm like, and I still haven't been able to teach her how to blow me while she drives. It's really difficult guys. You'd be surprised. Sure, okay. And all yeah. the girls that would watch the show, love the, love the joke, but all the guys were all like deeply. How could you say that? Hey, <laughs> Right. Like, like well, white knighting. Yeah. Nah, yeah. Some of them, and by the way, some of them, quite frankly, there's a reflex that some guys do that they don't react to those kind of jokes because they're afraid they'll get caught reacting to those kind of jokes. Um, and that will cost them. Yeah. That's all. Like, and, I, I like girls yeah. that would hear that joke and be, and be like, well, you are that selfish, honey. And then wink and then cheers. And then, you know, everyone's fine. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the serious, sure. yeah, the serious reactors. I don't, I don't like anybody that reacts all crazily to. Well, my reaction, like of course, would have been, uh, look, any woman who can't drive with her left knee isn't marriage material. There you go. See, that's why you're the comedy stylings writer, and I am not. Right? This is it. That's, that's what I do. I'm a punch up guy, even if I don't want to. Are you, do you consider yourself like an activist or is that a label you avoid and you're just more of a, you know, a force mm. on certain things that I, I loved the work that you've done to like, um, I, I just saw one clip, maybe you've only done it the one time, but, um, I think it was dogs. You were saving dogs or something. And, and I didn't know that part of you. I had all these clips lined up to, to watch. I skimmed a couple of them and that was one of them. Sure. And, um, so can you tell me if you have like, and this isn't a plug, this is literally a freestyle question. I'm just curious if you've done, if that's one of your passion issues. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I've worked with the Humane Society and the ASPCA and, and uh, I worked on Prop 2, which was the anti, uh, like, cruelty to farm animals mm. um, bill. Um, that, that's meaningful. Like, I, you know, I eat meat. I, you know, I'm not a vegetarian. However, I would rather the animals that I'm consuming not be tortured before their death. It seems simple to me. Yeah. And it seems like something you can actually legislate and be okay with like that seems logical so that uh, if you can make a change try to make that change that's um, that's you know and i've done every aids walk in the country at least twice uh maybe missed a few uh, minor ones that didn't chart or didn't have the, the the blessing of the greater aids walk organization we just didn't know but uh um because that you know that was a meaningful fight getting to the point where it could be a manageable disease and then ultimately a cure. That seems to make sense uh, for everyone involved. I, I call me crazy. Um, as far as being an, you know, an activist as at that term, I, I don't know because I feel like I would reserve that word for the people who like serve as volunteers on a board that, you know, like I've done, you know, I've, I've worked with Project Angel Food since the early 90s, for example. And I okay. volunteered and installed the sink in their kitchen when they moved from one place to another. I did the construction. This is before Talk Soup, before anybody gave a shit who I was. 
And uh, I did that because it's the right thing to do. Hmm. I didn't, I, as a matter of fact, nobody's, that's, that's different than marching. I think that's the most activist thing I've ever done because I relatively an unsung act at the time, especially, and I had to strip the rotten wood from the old sink out from under it because it had soaked through. And it was like, you could, I literally, palm, the, the thing was so rotten, the wood was so rotten under the old sink that I could palm the wood underneath it. I could literally wow. claw plywood with my fingers and it would just come <laughs> up like soup. It was grotesque. And it was moldy and nasty oh, and yeah. blah, blah. Obviously affected me mentally, but, um, but in doing that, like, to me, that's what activism is. Marching is not activism to me. It's, it's got value and it definitely is a show of support for an idea or a cause, but activism to me would be, you know, you know, go on Thanksgiving, go hand out some food, go to the mission, uh, run by my, my Masonic brothers in LA, you know, around, you know, at some point holiday or no, and help them serve food, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's good to lend your profile to stuff, especially stuff that you believe in that you have a passion for. I think I think sure. more people should do it. Attention um, is great. It's, uh, that wouldn't be activism, though. To me, to me, that's that that is a valuable thing. I just don't know what that word for it is. You know what I mean? It's because hmm. there's a word for it in the industry, which I find particularly disheartening. It's a phrase, really, cause marketing. Oh, yeah, and I, I mean, yeah. And, yeah. It means uh, using your charity work or your care about a big known cause to get your name out there and help you. And the, the existence of it has made me shy away from, I help, but hi, I'm the spokesperson for whatever, even if it would do some good, unfortunately. I, I've, I have such a bad taste in my mouth about that idea that it's probably made me do less than I would, which is weird. But I just, it's just a more it's a more macro way of saying disaster capitalism, isn't it? That's the Naomi yeah, I guess, Klein. Except, I think yes. it's like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Naomi Klein's book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Except for the, you know, you're not moving in on the disaster and taking over the space Fair because enough. it's it's an, it's it's a space that does not exist and your product is one that does not counterbalance or in, or intervene in whatever's going on. You're not doing it so you can get the oil out from under someone's feet because mm. if they don't if somebody could watch that same thing and decide fuck you and they don't like you because you support that cause as much as they could say they're for it you know what i mean that's you gamble with that all the time as a performer and that's why some people sh you know shy away from the more you know difficult or long form ones so no i think i listen i, I think I, I i think it's interesting how um the, the pandemic kind of um we're so polarized and everyone's like you know they hear keyword they hear keywords like you right. hear the phrase free speech and yeah. like half of the population immediately think far right nut job. They immediately think that. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. and there's so many ironies tied to that. One of them being that um, free speech is a bastion of liberal ideology born yes, on the fucking absolutely. campus at Berkeley, right? Like it's not, it is as left wing as well, there it's is. Well, the enlightenment. It's, right. I mean, it predates the fucking country. It's one of the primary founding principles of the country for a reason. It is one of the things you couldn't do anywhere else on the planet. Yeah. And that was why it was the first thing they codified, your ability to choose your own religion and to say whatever you want, which, by the way, was and it's not an accident, uh, was a complete affront to the Ten Commandments, because the first, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the special parts of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Literally, both of those are nullified by the First Amendment. 
As a matter yeah. of fact, you can have any God or no God before them if you want to, and you can take the Lord's name in vain or not. You have the right to speak your mind. They literally, yeah. as deists, specifically counterbalance the Ten Commandments. So and I always think it's funny when people want to put a Ten Commandments in front of a courthouse, and I'm like, why, do you want to just embarrass the Ten Commandments or anybody who believes them? Because you're you're literally parking it in front of a place that says not only can you kill, but in some cases it's justified and we will make the decision here on earth, whether or not that killing was right or wrong, not thou shalt not kill period. End of story. There's a difference between depraved indifference, manslaughter, murder one, murder two, self-defense. I don't know. Yeah. I love how, um, yeah, I love how hardcore Christian political people, um, always talk about the founding fathers this the founding fathers that and so far it's how sparks and christopher hitchens are the only ones that actually knew that the founding fathers were deists <laughs> you know right I mean? sure absolutely <laughs> yeah. and he thought and and i thought that made them better people and he thought that made them worse yeah but either right. way it was still well, you know, you're an anti-theist uh, there's only a narrow spot for you to go right like there's only that's one true yeah way. and yeah. and again uh, and uh, well and that i guess that's always the debate and in, in atheism circles are you atheistic are you against the principle of religion as it's wrote and therefore against the concept of God? Are you anti-theist, meaning you're against the organized church principle and anybody saying that they know God before you know God and you there's only one way to get to spiritual knowing but through them? And that's that's the dangerous part. That's the cult world. That's the you know, that's where you get a Catholic bishop on Friday the 13th at the murder of all the Templars saying, kill them all. God will know his own in front of an entire village full of people. Um, yeah. I, th I yeah. always thought that the anti-theist, there was more of an abstract definition, which was, um, which is that, like, I always, and I always thought it was too hard to answer because it depends. Is the God uh -huh. like the God in the Old Testament or a good God? <laughs> right? Like, it's hard to, I, well, I want to be able to, yeah. to, to decipher between those two. Because if God turns out to be a person who, um, and Hitch one time was like, uh, heaven sound, you have to worship all the time. I'm paraphrasing. You have to worship all the time yeah. in heaven for the rest of your life. It's like a celestial North Korea. So all of his quotes are like, I, that's kind of what I believe. Worship somebody for the rest of their fucking life? Are you kidding? Like, what is this, the mafia? Like, am I kissing Jesus' ring every night? Like, sure. what's happening here? And well, um, you, you, gotta, yeah, yeah. you gotta understand their, their construction of what heaven would be like compared to what life was like in the desert 2000 plus years ago when these concepts were initially founded is that if you went to a place where a land of milk and honey, where the ground was soft and always cool and uh, you were all, you could fly and you had no mortal coil to worry about or whatever, you kind of would praise that thing. You'd be grateful every fucking day, which gratitude and praise of God are intrinsically the same fucking thing in that old theistic belief that you were, you wouldn't praise him, but praise meant thanks you yeah. give thanks for. And so, of course, you would be grateful to live in heaven for the rest of your life. What that turned into was from an evangelical standpoint, because they are the sales arm of Christianity, as so dubbed by themselves, is that you're into the good word. Sell the good word. And the good word, you know, is is about how you got to let this guy know you're on his team. And if you let him know he's, you're on his team, sing the right hymns, say the right things, yeah. say, promise, take the oath. For God's the world, but he gave us only begotten son for whoso believes in him will not perish but live everlasting life. You know, if you John 316 it, you could get a fucking, you'll catch the 316 to heaven, right? And But look how good they are at indoctrinating. You, you sound like, I don't know what denomination you may have grown up in, but if you're like me, you grew up and, and then now, even as a 46-year-old guy, I haven't been to church in like three decades, whatever it's been, I could still do an entire Catholic mass if I wanted to impersonate a priest. 
Yeah, but in all fairness, I can also do Kiss's her whole first record uh, from the same age range, uh, you know, cover to cover, you know, song for song in order, you know, lyrically. So, you know, that's that's the nature of the uh, of of memory at that point. I wouldn't write too much into Kiss had a cult following for all the kids playing at home, though. So it is sort of yeah, yeah, Knights and Satan Service, the irony, right? Um, But I I will say this: that um, there is a huge difference between memorization and indoctrination. And just because you can do that whole Catholic mass does not mean that it has an emotional impact on you that will I'm, affect I'm, your behavior one direction or another. And so I'm the indoctrination, yeah. right. arguably, the indoctrination part of it was a complete failure. Hmm. They're terrible at it. They can get you to recite words. It's like, so like uh, some people know, some people don't. I'm a Freemason. And one of the things that they deal with all the time is people like, you can look up on the internet and learn the fucking special handshakes and all that. There's, you know, the secrets of a Freemason and you can go and there's a video that shows what happens behind him. Like, that's not the secret of masonry. It's how you're affected by bettering yourself as a man. And no one can take that away from you because it's individual and it has to do with, you know, the path that you're on as a decent human being. That and sounds almost Scientology-ish, right? Well, no, because part. Scientology is secondary. There are spirits in you you're trying to drive out. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I, it, retract, you know, I retract immediately. Yeah, <laughs> and there's no yeah. special machine, or is there? Um, but Apparently, it's Tom uh, Cruise, too. Jesus. Right, yeah, yeah. But the but in all, in all seriousness, um, it's the same. You know, you're not indoctrinated by anyone but yourself. You know, you can... You can, I mean, I mean, there's one thing to like raise child soldiers to be murderers at some point, but if you really give somebody an opportunity and they're not too scarred just by trauma, they'll turn their life around and live with guilt over what they may have done when they were younger and not want to do it forever. Right. It's the I do same. Think that, I think that introducing kids to religion is, is indoctrination just by definition. Like I feel like in my household, my kids are eight and six. Um, sure. They they know daddy's lack of belief or whatever, and I I think because I don't push too hard, have successfully imprinted onto them an evidence based preference for things in life, right? And and but the thing is, is that You're now I have now I have the idea though of when I tell them that the Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus isn't real, I'm just going to throw Jesus into the mix, so that he he will naturally he and she will naturally and organically look at. Jesus in the same light as the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus when they become they become adults. I think this is a good new method. I'm thinking of a master class. You don't look um, like you would buy into the. Are you religious? I don't remember um, if if you actually pointed that out or if you. No, 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 no. I, um, you know, I I lean towards sim, uh, the simulation hypothesis overall, and that, oh, uh, cool. that 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 heaven is just they don't throw you away if you fuck up too bad in the simulation because you're too bad a person to be let out in real society on the other side of whatever wall we live. So um, that would be the closest thing to kind of materially explaining it. But hmm. ultimately, here's here's the premise that you know uh, that you you buttress up against. I'm sure is that you operate in and around a, a, a country, a society, especially in Canada, built on um, Christian principles, not Judeo-Christian principles, not Abrahamic traditions. That's the Old Testament shit. But specifically, the, the British interpretation of Christian behavior, and, and maybe if you're up in Nova Scotia, some remnant Viking mythology mm-hmm. thrown in there for good measure, for you know, and, pay, and mixed with pagan holidays, for your agrarian parts of your country. That's what you grew up in. 
and every generation afterwards did right and you built your family structure and probably your rules-based behavior on that whether you believe it or not yeah that's right you think there's the underpinnings or after the underpin- right. but right. the underpinnings that are there are about the values not the superstitions i think right like that was the whole point of the lincoln bible wasn't it Is that he just removed all the things that aren't scientifically possible and just left it like that well, he not because he didn't believe that God, uh, that Jesus wasn't a mystical being, but because he believed that was rabble, red meat for the rabble that was put in like magic tricks to trick people into that was so that was the, the shiny object that got that made you miss the purpose of the story. I think the purpose right. of the story is an oh my fucking god, this guy could turn two fish into a bunch. The story was is that there is something beyond death, and you have to be aware of your worth on this planet, and you and you should consider. Interestingly enough, at the very least, that your enemy might have humanity for the first time, you know, in that area of the world that they, you know, amongst the thinkers of that time, that was outlandish. And that mm-hmm. was a and, and Jefferson, especially after the reconciliation with uh, after the Revolutionary War and what they would have to how they would have to reconcile with England eventually as their primary trade partner, uh, you know, because it was one of the only functioning societies that they interacted with. That the other being the French and the Spanish, which were constantly at war with the English and back and forth all the time, that ultimately would lead to the Brits being the first ones to abolish the slave trade, running slave blockades against the uh, transatlantic slave trade, eventually the Civil War in the United States. And, uh, uh, you know, um, the, uh, historically speaking, his belief was if you're so caught up in walking on fucking water, you're going to miss the point of the part you can actually, you can't walk on water. I can't walk on water. I can't turn, you know, a fish into multitudes. But mm-hmm. what I can do is stop myself short of killing you if I believe I've been wronged to just consider for a moment that I might be wrong about it or that there might be some other way for us right. both forward, right? And that's that was the important thing to Jefferson. It was the only way in many ways he could imagine the world shifting. And this was a guy who grew up his whole life with slaves around, had slaves himself, but in his mind was sleeping with one of them, had children with one of them, and was clearly aware of their humanity and was like, how the fuck do we get out of this? Because if he turned his slaves free at that point, it's 1776, somebody else would have snatched them up and done maybe worse to them. So it's, a, I mean, they were in a world we can't even sort of comprehend. So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. So the values, I th- he took that stuff out not because he thought it was superstition, but because it was distracting specifically from the real worth, the real lesson, the parts we can absorb in, in any philosophy. Imagine if the teachings of Confucius talked about how what a great juggler he was, or the fact that he, you know, he could, you know, he could maintain an erection for four hours without having to go to the doctor. You know, like you'd go, you know what I mean? You'd be like, what what the fuck? That's amazing. You're like, yeah, but in the part where he's saying, you know, treat everyone as if they are a attached to you with a golden thread shouldn't you really focus on that part i mean but the dude could fuck for four hours but dude there's a talking snake right, right. there like that's just, right that's the problem know? with it that's that's the issue that the deists had with it is that that was the, the part that was like it was tribally amazing it was also mm. based on sort of uh tribal royalty it was to convince people that their people were magic or that their king was magic you know, which was uh, one yeah. of the ways you you kept people loyal to the king. And by the way, if you weren't loyal to the king, 
the kingdom would splinter and all your people were fucking dead. So it's like the, it's like the old trichinosis thing. And Chris Rock brought this up. It's like, you can either tell people that pigs are, if you, you can get trichinosis and you'll fucking die if you eat these pigs. Cause we have no way. We, we don't know what causes it. We think it's ethers or spirits, but we know that if you eat that, you're going to fucking die. And other people are like, yeah, but I'm starving. And if my, I'll gamble with, you know, brain holes if I, you know, in exchange for, you know, being able to feed my family. So they just said, God said, don't do it. And that was enough to keep people from doing it. And it made them look elsewhere so that they would do stuff. And it saved everyone born after. So right. the, the yeah. billions who are alive today are directly related to somebody going, all right, we tell them it'll make them sick. They'll go, I'm already dying of star sick. Starvation isn't a sickness. But if we tell them God said no, they just won't. All right. That will save their life. Yeah. We'll figure it out later. The, you're only alive. You, sir, are only alive because people made somebody said the Easter bunny at one Imagine point. Imagine how easy that job would be like to live in Constantine's time and be responsible for what goes in the Bible and why. Oh, that'd be great. Even just getting was, drunk the whole time and, and just be like hitting the sack, the Sacri Jews at that time. And the, the different tribes were all fighting over who the fucking Messiah was. One of the reasons why they wrote it out that way, if you ever read uh, uh, Caesar's Messiah, you know, that they conglomerated multiple stories of different guys who were calling themselves the Messiah at the time and formed it into one coherent narrative with one dude. Um, yeah. That's why he was in different parts of the country at diff at the same time. And it, 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 I understand him. It followed, it followed an astrological date system with a lot of things that followed, like it, it had sure. similar miracles to like Horus and other, you know, um, Athro, right. Athropomological. Yeah, that's, there's also, yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've seen Zeitgeist too, which is just. I, a, I, I love Zeitgeist because of that word, because it could, those who know, you can just go, and they really just anthropomorphize the stars. And you're like, Zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, right. Most, yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. what, was the Zeit, what was Zeitgeist for? What was the purpose of that movie? For It was for apparently at the end, like, I, mean, I thought, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is going from memory, wasn't it to like, and in order to reach the rest, the best place for your mind and soul, here are a bunch of strange-looking condos, and we would like you to move there. Project Genesis, whatever it was called. Yeah, they wanted to audit the Fed and end democracy. It was a it's communist propaganda. <laughs> Isn't that libertarian propaganda? Uh, well, no, the, that's the bait for the libertarian side. Okay. That's the thing. Yeah. Every, uh, you know, I say this on my show a lot, but like every hook has a worm on it or you wouldn't bite. And so everybody's mm. like, well, some of the stuff makes sense. It has to. Anybody who's pulling your fucking chain has to bait you with something that sounds familiar and right with you. They can't just go, everything you know is a fucking lie. And here's why everything's a fucking lie. And you're stupid because you believe it. About. Like they'll go, hey, man, we all have the same questions. Like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. But, I, you know, some, there are some issues that libertarian, let's just say fairly far to the right and fairly far to the left agree on. There's, there's interesting overlaps. They just, to, they just get, yeah, get horseshoe there. Theory, totally. absolutely. No, it's not right. even horseshoe. I don't think it's quite like horseshoe theory. I, Cause I think that it's reasonable. Say, let's say you're anti-war. I think it's just as reasonable to be like, I don't want to go to other places in the world and start dropping bombs. Okay. I don't want to start doing that shit as it is to say, is that what war um, is? sometimes, right. As, but it's just, but that's a debatable subject, and that is a reasonable position, right? right? Sure. As is um, for some people. Listen, there's a small country getting the fuck kicked out of them over there, and us as part of the United Nations or NATO or just us, or whatever, are going to help that country, and hopefully it's not named Iraq. 
Right. It, it comes from like a different uh, political starting point, but you end up in the same place. It's like that for the drug right. war as well. The drug war is very similar. For very different reasons, the left and the right agree that the drug war should be over, right? Yeah, not anymore. No? Who's like, are the Republicans back to being uh, reefer madness fentanyl. people again? Dude, fentanyl is turning the entire drug war back on its head. Everybody, uh, the, listen, the, the fucking Republicans, Trump was talking about like bombing cartels in Mexico. like his, And they were agreeing with him, like Marge and all those, that crowd, they were talking about doing that. That he is literally saying quick trials and execution for drug dealers because every drug dealer has 500 dead people on average. I don't know where the fuck he got that, you know, extrapolation statistic from, but whatever. They he's regularly saying that the drug war has not only en not uh, ended from a right wing standpoint. They want it to be an actual war, oh, not a metaphor. Yeah. And that'll that'll totally make different. the bureaucracy a lot more rich, wealthy as well, right? Um, like, no, it'll just make a bunch of people dead. Um, right, I, but, like, but weapons profiting yeah. is, is, is a thing in every skirmish now, and it seems to be okay. It's part, it used to be war profiteering, and now it's like, oh, that's fine. People need their weapons. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that, sure, I would find sure. that hard I, I mean, to swallow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, from my point of view, like, when he says that shit, it's just gibberish red meat that will never see the light of day. But that's, that, that, it, it heralds a shift point on the far right anyways about that. Because they used to be kind of, laissez-faire. I mean, the idea was libertarians were Republicans that smoke pot, right? That's Bill Maher. That was the idea yeah. that he's a, yeah. right? That's who they are. Um, and that, and then, you know, it eventually it was just, they found a common enemy in the government. So the, it isn't that, uh, you know, right-wingers are against the drug war anymore. It's just, they think the DEA is right up there with the EPA and it's just, you, you kneecap the federal government everywhere you can, period. So that, and that was yeah. part of it. That's where the Ron Paul shit comes in. Libertarianism is, is, I mean, it's that you, that's more akin to Scientology because as far as a political uh, uh, concept, because it's it's basically like latte anarchist, um, yeah. ultimately, you know, or, or like, you know, sovereign citizens with a cottage, like, yeah. get the fuck out of here. Like, it's just silly <laughs> at a certain point. Like, what does it look like? It, you know, it's as silly as a narco communist or whatever. Like, what we're going to do is we'll all agree to meet here on Wednesday. Oh, will we? How long will yeah. that shit last? You know, if you don't, and you know what the funny thing is, is like most like laissez-faire, libertarianism, anarchy, any of those kind of thought forms, um, even to some degree, tribal communism. You don't think we didn't have that shit before? I mean, that's yeah. how most of society that was not directly within striking distance of a monarch acted for centuries. And it was fucking horrible. Most of yeah. those people died of smallpox. I know people um, that have parents that were raised in communist countries that do nothing but roll their eyes at people that um, right. either embrace communism or call countries like Canada a communist state. Like, like those, right. both of those positions are equally absurd. Yeah, they're silly. Um, it's so funny. We, unfortunately, we have to wrap this up because there's a show coming on after mine that's using the stream, but I would love to have you back, dude. I, I, I didn't yeah. even really, I knew about the activism or the lending your profile for good causes thing, but I didn't yeah. know that you were kind of like this astute into politics until like late today uh, when we were, when I was watching, um, when I was watching the podcast that you literally just wrapped before you started doing this one. Right. And, House yeah. Mega Worldwide. Yes. Yeah, my, that's, it's a live stream. I wouldn't call it a podcast because I live stream and there's sort of a different arc to it because it's usually the sound of my own voice, yeah. but uh, but yes, um, and and that's you know that turned into something after 
we were, you know, and I know we got to get out of here, but I, you know, at, when the lockdown happened, I was like touring went away as a stand up uh, production shut down acting wise. And, and I was like, I got a kid and I got to, you know, beat him. And I got, you know, I got a yeah. roof to keep over our head. I got to do something. So I just went dive in, try to find a way to be useful and, uh, and to some degree, you know, earn us a living until mm. this ship writes itself. And it turned into a real thing. It actually has been quite, it's been a joy. It's now its own element of my career. It's very, it's totally unexpected, but it's great. Well, I think it's amazing. And I think you do it well. And uh, please Thanks. come back. I, I, that, that was a good conversation. Glad to. All right, buddy. I'll yeah. see you soon then. Chap Thanks, chapter one. All right. That's right. <laughs> Wife jokes. Think about it. Oh, yeah. Okay. See you later, man. Um, that was Hal Sparks. Uh, I think I cut him off saying something at the end, but um, you have to know when to pull the trigger. And I, I did it wrong. And um, tomorrow we have Rob Davis and then Casual Friday on Friday. Might have a surprise guest. Oh, Decisive. Decisive on Friday. It's a black ball doubleheader. Legendary rapper. If you don't know who he is, check him out. He's dope. And he will be on the show on Friday, just before Casual Friday. And we'll see you then. I'm very tired. I'm black ball. Black
It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.